welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 117 3D&T and Egon. We've spent a lot of time over the course of this podcast talking about games and systems from the U.S. and the U.K., but as we've noted a few times here and there, several other countries have staked their claims to a portion of the tabletop role-playing game world, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to give them a little bit of love. This week, we're going to cover a Brazilian game and then a French game. So brush up on your language skills while we crank up the tour bus and get to our first topic for the week. 3D&T, which at the time of its creation was called Defensores de Tokyo, was created by Brazilian designer Marcelo Cesaro and was released by Editora Talissima in 1994. Cesaro's goal was to design a game that would be rather simple and therefore very welcoming to the beginning gamer. This original version, which translates to Defenders of Tokyo in English, was a satire of tokusatsu fighting games and anime. Its success caused the creation of what was called AD&T, which was intended to be a more advanced version of the rules and an obvious rib or riff on AD&D. 3DT, which stands for Defenders of Tokyo 3rd Edition, became a more generic game. Satire went away, and the more serious nature of the materials led to something the publisher hadn't anticipated. Huge success. In fact, among Brazilian gamers, 3DT was at least as popular, if not more so, than D&D and Vampire the Masquerade. And so that there's no confusion here, AD&T was released in 1996, while 3DT came out in 1998. 3DT is the shortened form of Ericao de Defensores de Tokyo, for those who wanted to hear me butcher the language just a little bit more. I do really need to take a language course because this keeps getting embarrassing. Shortly after the release of 3DT, a version that's been described as being even simpler was released, with the name being 3D&T Fastplay. And to encourage players to pick up the game, it was made available for free online. In 2003, 3D&T got a revised edition called 3D&T Manual Revisado Ampliado e Turbinado. This would be the final release from Editora Trauma. As it tends to happen with these things, Marcelo Casaro became increasingly frustrated with the management at Talissima. At the time, he was the editor-in-chief of their role-playing game magazine, Drago Brazil, and many of his frustrations with the company came from interfering with how he ran the magazine, but those weren't the only things. But I was unable to find out exactly what those were, because while he might not have been happy... He also doesn't seem to have been airing his dirty laundry in public, as it were. So, Casaro did what so many other pissed-off creators have done over the years. He left to go work for another company. Mythos Editoria was the company, and the magazine was his own creation, RPG Master. RPG Master was exclusively a 3D&T magazine, though it did contain news releases about other systems. Later on, Casaro would create another magazine, Dragon Slayer, which devoted its pages to the D20 system. Now, while all of that was going on, Editora Talisma continued cranking out 3D&T. 
The problem with that is that when Cassaro left, he took the rights to the game with him. So that meant that Talisma was publishing a game they didn't have the rights to. The truth of the matter behind this is that Talisma was in serious financial straits at the time, and the belief is that they kept publishing the game in an attempt to right the ship. They failed, and they had to shut the company down. By the way, Dragon Slayer is still being published to this day, which is kind of irony on irony on irony. Anyway, in 2006, Editora JBC, who is a manga publisher in Brazil, created a successor game to 3D&T called 4D&T. It basically changed the entire way the game was played. Gone were the rules that allowed the game to be played fast, as well as the qualities that made it new gamer friendly. While 4D&T is technically a D20 system, it uses D6s instead. 4D&T was published under the Open Game License for those keeping score at home. 4D&T has sold quite well in Brazil, though it's mostly from players who didn't play 3D&T. Those players tend to reject it primarily because it strays away from the simplicity of the original. Kind of like the 3E, 4E split with a number of D&D players. In May of 2008, Cassaro was approached by Guilherme de Svaldi, who was the editor-in-chief at Jumbo Editora at the time. Del Saldi told Cassaro that he noticed 3D&T was still exceptionally popular as a tabletop role-playing game, which Cassaro found astounding because it had been out of print for several years at that point. Cassaro had pretty much put 3D&T in his rearview mirror by that time, but this news well, set him to bringing 3D&T back into print, which he did in September of 2008 with 3D&T Alpha. Again, this was a title inspired by a comic, in this case Street Fighter Alpha 3, which Cassaro adapted along with Erika Awano into a four-issue comic that Trauma had published in the late 90s. Jumbo also made this new version available as a free ebook on their website in an attempt to lure old players back to the game that might have given it up, as well as bringing in new players. The majority of the rules from 3D&T came back for this edition, though the Advantage-Disadvantage system got an update and the Magic system got a complete overhaul. And the book was published in a landscape format, which most American gamers would find very different. 3D&T Alpha also saw the first releases of major settings. In 2012, Gustavo Browner created Megacity. The basic premise is that Megacity is a megalopolis with five smaller settings contained within. I'll expand on that when we get into the basics of setting momentarily. Also in 2012, Alexandra Lancaster created Brigada Lagiria Estelar, or Light Star Brigade. Again, I'll hit on this in a moment when I get into the settings. Fast forwarding to February of 2021, Jumbo announced a new version of the game called 3DET Victory. Again, it was a simple system to run, and while the rules were again getting a bit of a polish and an upgrade, the overall changes weren't intended to be as drastic as they were between 3D&T and 4D&T. A crowdfunding was launched on August 4th of this year on Catarse, and it's still in progress as we record this show. However, if you'd like to check out the basics, there's a beta version out there called 3DET de Rodoviaria. God, I hope I got that right. Now, 
All of that being said, I can give you all the websites, but unless you speak fluent Spanish or Portuguese, they're going to be of no use to you, with one exception. That exception is Jumbo Editoria's website, site.jamboeditoria.com, where you have the option to select English as the language for the print. It's got all the info on the Catarse crowdfunding, as well as background on the new version. Okay, so with the history covered, let's roll back a bit and expand on those setting releases I mentioned a few moments ago. We'll start with Mega City. As I mentioned in the history, Mega City is made up of five smaller settings. They are Super Mega City. This setting features superheroes and supervillains, so that would play like a DC or a Marvel comic. Torneo das Sombras, or Tournament of the Shadows. This has a variety of martial artists, and the best comparison I could find is video games like Street Fighter, Tekken, and The King of Fighters. Megadroid, which has that futuristic Japanese pop culture technology, think uh, Mega Man and Astro Boy. There, there was a handbook that came out later that expanded on Megadroid and added references to Mecha and Tokutatsu. Chronicas de Nova Memphis, or Nova Memphis Chronicles. These are your supernatural creatures, vampires, werewolves, angels, demons. Think World of Darkness. Mega City Contra Attica, or Mega City Strikes Back. This one's a bit unusual for a tabletop role-playing setting, as it is vanilla humans doing everyday jobs. Cops, firefighters, nurses, doctors... You get it. This allows for what the book calls more realistic adventures. Me? I game to get away from reality, but to each their own. The beauty of the way Mega City is laid out is that it allows for GMs to either set their campaign up in one of the smaller settings or combine them. There are several that would combine rather easily and a couple that would be a bit more difficult to do. However, it has also been noted online that some GMs have used all five in a single campaign and noted it was a hell of a challenge for the players because they needed to build characters and assemble parties that would work for all of the settings. Okay, so let's take a look at Starlight Brigade. It's what's been described as a mecha space opera swashbuckling setting. The basics are that there's an empire spread out over 17 solar systems called the Constellation of Sabra. Those cats are the main target of invaders from outer space called the Forsaken. And as you'd expect from having that many systems involved, there's a boatload of political intrigue involved as well. Some of the characters are mecha ace pilots, space pirates, and swashbuckling noblemen, among others. And to be honest, I'm kind of at a loss for a good comparison here. Maybe a combination of Firefly, Battlestar Galactica, and Star Trek? I, I don't know. But then again, maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before, especially on this show. Next, as we do what we do when we cover individual games, we need to pop the hood and see what makes it purr. But I have to be honest here. This is going to be a very brief overview since I couldn't find much in English and I cannot read either Spanish or Portuguese. So I was pretty limited in what I could use. Uh, the overall system used is a combination of universal and superhero which makes sense when you check out the settings we just mentioned. And as we mentioned up top, 3D&T was designed to be easy to play and simple to learn. 
Character creation takes a page from GURPS, giving each player a predetermined number of points to distribute between the main stats, magic power, and advantages and disadvantages. And while that number is typically 5, GMs can choose to change that number as they please. There are 5 stats in 3D and T. Forca, or Strength, obviously this measures physical strength. It's also used for a character's skill in melee combat. Habilidade, or ability, this would be the dexterity equivalent, so it covers manual dexterity, speed, and mental abilities. Resistencia, or resistance, this is used to determine hit points as well as measuring the overall health of the character. Armadura, or armor, I think you know this one, how well the character can protect themselves. Poder de fogo, or firepower, this is a skill with ranged weapons all ranged weapons. Now, it's a different mix than what we're used to with most other games, I'll grant you, but it's interesting enough to warrant a look-see if you're so inclined. Magical powers for our characters are defined by what are called caminos elementals or elemental paths. These basically determine how well our mage can control the elements, and there are six paths. Fogo, or fire. Agua, water. Terra, earth. Ar, or air, luz, or light, and trevas, or darkness. I realize you didn't need the English translations for most of those, but I've got the time to fill, so I figured why the hell not. Advantages and disadvantages work a lot like we're used to seeing in other games and systems that have them. They're special powers a player can have, and advantages cost points to gain, while disadvantages will give players more points to spend. Again, this is pretty much the same as we've seen in the other systems that utilize advantages and disadvantages. There's one more item to mention here, and that's Perseus, or skills. They work like skills in the D20 system, as they're not used in combat. These are animals, arts, crime, investigation, languages, machines, manipulation, medicine, science, sports, and survival. And that's what I could dig up in English about how the game works. If you speak Spanish or Portuguese, you should have an easier time finding more stuff to check out. Or if you've got the kind of time to get yourself lost down that rabbit hole in the internet, be my guest. By the way, that's also why I don't have any reviews for this game, since my Spanish is limited to dos cervezas por favor, which is great in a Mexican bar, but that's about it. And I guess if I was in Portugal, I'd be going thirsty. So, now that I've managed to butcher Spanish and Portuguese, let's move on to our second topic for the day so I can butcher French. I mean, why not? Let's see how much more I can embarrass myself today. Agon is what has been described as an epic fantasy role-playing game based on the award-winning novels from fantasy writer Mathieu Gabory. David Benoit, Sebastian Salarine, Mathieu Gabory, Grégoire Lachman, Jean-Rémy Lerin, Jean-Baptiste Lullian, Stéphane Marsan, and Xavier Spinot get the creator credits for the game, and it was published in 1999 by Multiism. Now, the book was originally published, as you might have figured by my setup and the names of the creators in French, but five books did get an English translation in 2001. That being said, before Multiism went out of business, over 30 books and supplements were published to support Aguillon, and they were all in French with the five exceptions that I'm going to note. Matter of fact, why don't I just note them now? 
Agon, an epic role-playing game in the Twilight Realms. That's the core rulebook. The Great Papers, The King of Spring, The Grimoire Volume 1, and The Game Master's Pack. However, they've all been out of print for the better part of 20 years, so going to sound like a broken record. I'd suggest a good used bookshop, or you can always try drivethroughrpg.com, and if they don't know, they can sometimes point you in the right direction. I think the best way to start describing the setting is to take something from the core rulebook. In the beginning, there were four muses, eternal beings that had the ability to create substance from nothing. Working together, the muses created the universe and primarily Harmondia, seeking perfection. They created many life forms until they finally create a new eternal, the Mask. So if you're going to play Egon, be prepared for a rather Shakespearean tone, which for me would be pretty cool, but for some of you, probably not. The TLDR on this is that while the four muses created the world and everything in it, the fifth muse wants to control the world and everything in it. Egon itself is set several millennia after the creation of the mask, and the muses themselves are... Well, think of the Jedi in the original Star Wars trilogy. Some remember them, but the stories vary if there are any stories at all. Harmondia, which is the setting for the game, has been split into several kingdoms with a variety of humans and non-humans living there. Okay, so we've got a brief setting outline. How about we get into the basics of the game itself? Now, most role-playing games have characters starting at the equivalent of first level, which means they've got little or no experience and are expected to get that experience over the course of several adventures. Egon does things a little bit differently. Characters are expected to be middle-aged at the start and hold a high rank. In fact, most of them will hold military ranks of high status or be nobles of note. These characters will be known as the inspired and will be rather accomplished in their varied fields of expertise. Egon is intended to be a lot more about intrigue and the body politic than it is about combat. In fact, the style is intended to be more of a noir style than the typical fantasy game. This would also mean that success at something is much better than it would be in, say, D&D. By the way, most of the sources I read noted that the Inspired are pretty close to the Exalted from White Wolf, in case you were looking for a ready-made comparison. Egon is a D10 system, and all checks are resolved with the attribute plus skill versus difficulty or opposed role. Again, we've seen this a time or two, so there's no need to dive any deeper into that here. In fact, character creation works pretty much the same as it does in most D10-based systems, like those from White Wolf. So again, we're not going to dive any deeper into those, even though we've got the time to do so. Just thinking we don't need to hear that description for the thousandth time. Besides, I wanted to take a few extra moments to discuss magic in this game, because let's face it, magic's cool. There are three basic types of magic in the game. Ascendancy, the magical arts, and invoking. Ascendancy refers to what's known as the Dancers, which is a phenomenon brought about thanks to the war between the Mask and the Muses. Dancers are three-inch-tall humanoids that are, basically, the living manifestation of magic. They can alter the universe thanks to their eternal dancing. And, needless to say, that makes them sought after by mages all across the world. If one chooses Ascendancy, there are three schools of magic to choose from, Jornist, Eclipsist, and Obscuranists. The schools refer to how a mage uses their dancers, which then defines what spells are available. 
Breaking it down, Jornists love their dancers and care for them very well. That allows for access to healing and supportive spells. Eclipsists choose to trade and negotiate with their dancers, which brings them sneaky and subtle spells. Obscurantists prefer to torture and torment their dancers, so their magics tend to be more aggressive in nature. The magical arts are only available to the inspired. This allows for the tapping into the various arts of the muses. Things like painting, sculpture, music, and poetry are used to perform a series of magical effects, which are taken from a list. Think bard turned up to 11. Invoking. Well, if you're a fan of the dark arts, and I'm talking to you Slytherin out there, this is your method. It involves using the darkness to bring demons out of the abyss. Then you negotiate with them for an exchange of services. As you'd expect, magical contracts are written out, and these are called connivances. So that's magic, and that's the basics of the system. And unlike 3D&T, I've got a review. This one comes from Conan McGeg on RPG.net from August 28th, 2017. He gives it an excellent rating for style and for substance and notes, quote, While I usually prefer more freeform systems, Agone's setting and concept won me over so much that I intend to be playing this game for a very long time, end quote. He concluded his review by stating, quote, Quite simply, astounding, end quote. One more thing I wanted to note before we wind this section up is that I do have a couple of websites you can check out for more information. One's in French, and I'm just going to spell this out. It's um, L-E-G-R-O-G dot org forward slash J-E-U-X forward slash A-G-O-N-E. And the other is German, A-G-O-N-E dot D-E forward slash. I don't have an English one, and I apologize for that. So with that, I think I just need to bring today's show to a close. Next week, we cover the Japanese game Al Shard and take a look at the system the game uses, the standard RPG system. In the meantime, check out our other fine podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. This week, we'll pick up where we left off last time and see if our group can help the Brotherhood of Steel find their missing communication gear, as well as figure out who attacked them. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. Okay, so this is the first show for the month of September, which means we're getting that much closer to Archon 46. It runs September 29th through October 1st at the Gateway Center in Collinsville, Illinois. The Bad GM Productions family will be there all weekend and we'll be doing a live role-playing history show from the convention itself. There's uh, still time to get your hotel rooms booked and your memberships purchased for the weekend. And trust me, if you only go to one convention this year, Archon is the one you want to go to. For all the deets, check out the Archon 46 website. That's A-R-C-H-O-N-S-T-L dot org. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. We're all over social media, so check out the info box for this episode or hit us up on the Contact Us tab of our website, badgmproductions.net. Next week, we check out Alshard and the standard RPG system, and I'll get to butcher yet another language. Yay me! (laughs) But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're role-playing history.